This week on Geek Explained, in a special birthday edition of the Geek Explained Spotlight, I'm diving into one of my favorite comics of the past decade Superman Smashes the Clan. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Gazana, and today's episode is a very special episode because the day that this drops, Wednesday, August 12th, is my birthday. So I am recording this a little bit ahead of time. Um, so some of the news might be out of date by the time this episode drops. Just be aware of that. But um, it is my birthday, so I am... Uh, talking about something that I, I'm pretty excited to talk about. I've been waiting for the right time to talk about this book. It's a book that I fell in love with from the very first page, from the very first announcement, to be honest. And I thought it would be a perfect choice as our birthday edition of the Geek Explained Spotlight. And that is Superman Smashes the Clan. This is the comic book adaptation of the radio drama that was... Um, basically pitting Superman against the Ku Klux Klan, or in this case, in the context of the story, the Clan of the Fiery Cross. So that is what today's episode is about. I'm so excited. I love this book so much. It's one of my favorite Superman stories of all time, so I can't wait to dive into it with you. Uh, we also have our latest weekly review on Season 2 of Doom Patrol, and of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, got some news for you this week. We have, of course, our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Uh, let's start off with some film news. Uh, we got two pieces of film news this week, two uh, fairly big pieces of news, I think. Um, as we all know, DC Fandom is coming up on the 22nd, I believe, of August, so it's just a week or two away, and DC Fandom has been in overdrive trying to get people to come watch this uh, streaming event. I will definitely be checking it out, and I'll keep you all up to date on all of the things that get announced there, but one of the things that I don't know if I expected to be... Um, to be kind of showing up at DC Fandom was The Rock's Black Adam. That's right. Rock the Dwayne Johnson will be appearing at DC Fandom to show off the first look at Black Adam. He announced this on his Twitter during the kind of uh, the big push by all of the different creators that are going to be showing up at the event. He showed off that, you know, DC Fandom has kind of put out this video on Twitter where it's like, 
all these people are going to be here, and then it shows like a huge list of people from comics pros to directors to actors to everybody who has ever been <laughs> basically associated with DC Comics. And uh, there's a lightning bolt that strikes through there for The Rocks on his uh, on his Twitter, and it says, and the man in black. I like the branding of the man in black. It's something that we don't, um, we don't hear a lot especially when it's uh, used with Black Adam. So I really like it. I like that it's kind of like this is how he's going to differentiate himself, not just from Captain Marvel, but from the rest of the DC universe, where it's like, okay, so we've got these villains, we've got the Joker, we've got Lex Luthor, and we've got the Man in Black. And it feels, it gives him almost this like mythic uh, property or this mythic feeling to him, which makes sense for a character on the level of Black Adam. So I'm excited. Should be really, really good. And I'm excited to see what they bring uh, to the table for the film at DC Fandom. We also got some news that I don't know how to feel about. I have some complicated feelings about this. Uh, First off, Tron 3. We talked about it before, but it is officially in development. uh, And we have a director. The director's name is Garth Davis. I'm not super familiar with him. And I went through um, kind of his IMDb. He directed his feature film debut in 2016 with the film uh, Wolf uh, that starred Dev Patel. And it was a good film. I mean, I don't really, I didn't really have any like feelings this way or that way about it, but um, it looked all right. It looked fine. I'm, uh, I'm not really, I don't know what exactly he's going to bring to it. He's mostly a, or I'm sorry, it's a, it's Lion is the name, <laughs> Wolf. Um, Lion is the name of the film, um, but he basically has been a mostly Australian TV director, but I mean, they, they must have picked him for a reason, right? And then we get to the news that um, I think is kind of dominating uh, even more so than the announcement of director. It's that Garth Davis will be directing the film and it will be led by Jared Leto. We heard back when the rumors about Tron 3 happening that Jared Leto was attached in some capacity. Now we know that he will be starring in the film. And I just, I I don't know, man. Like, I... I Jared Leto, um, let me preface this. Jared Leto is a good actor. I've seen him act very well in quite a few different films. Dallas Buyers Club comes to mind, even like his smaller roles in like Fight Club. I, oh, it's complicated. It's complicated because I don't know exactly what his um, his role is going to be. I also, honestly, I really liked him in uh, Blade Runner 2049. Um, but I don't know if that's kind of the role he's going to be looking at or if we're going for like a straight, like lead lead for this in the rain, in the, um, in the vein of like Flynn or his son, Sam. Um, I don't know. I'm disappointed that they won't be bringing back Sam and continuing his story with Cora, but, um, I'm excited for Tron, man. I love Tron. Tron is a big part of my, um, of my video game fandom, of my movie fandom. I've always been a fan of the original Tron, and I was one of the people who was obsessed, even to this day, with Tron Legacy. I know it's not a perfect film, might not even be a great film, but I love that film to pieces. So I will be checking this out. I'll be keeping a close eye on the developments for Tron 3, and, you know, just fingers crossed. That's all I can do. But I'm really excited about our TV news. And I guess this is not technically TV news, but it's huge, and I want to talk about it. Christopher Eccleston, 
Christopher Eccleston was a is an actor very talented and he kind of became a household name with a little-known show called Doctor Who. He was the ninth Doctor and brought the show back along with Russell T. Davies and Billy um, uh, Billy Piper's Rose. And all of these different backstage things happened, and Christopher Eccleston jumped ship after the very first season, handed the reins over to David Tennant, and has not touched the property since he left. And now that has all changed because it has been announced that the Ninth Doctor is officially returning in an audio capacity. He's joining up and doing a series of uh, audio dramas with Big Finish. Big Finish is basically the one-stop shop for non-televised Doctor stories. And I am super fucking excited about this. I know that everybody's got their favorite Doctor and maybe, you know, the Ninth Doctor isn't everybody's favorite, but he's my Doctor. He was the Doctor I started with, the first Doctor I ever watched. He has always been my Doctor, and maybe this opens the door for him showing up in a future, um, you know, 60th anniversary special or something along those lines. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited about this. There's no real news on what exactly it's going to be. We do know that it is canon. We do know that he will be returning, that he will be voicing himself as the Ninth Doctor, and it's going to be a whole slew of new stories. So really, really excited about that. And um, yeah, just good vibes all around. Now for some sad news in the comics world. Um, something that I will touch again upon in our uh, comics countdown. But Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme has officially ended. It just is done. It's gone. Uh, this past issue that dropped last week was, surprise, the final issue. Um, there's a letters page in the back where um, Mark Wade and Kev Walker basically talk about the fact that this wasn't this didn't really seem to be the plan, but this is what's happening, and that makes me sad because I really liked this uh, this run, Doctor Strange: Surgeon Supreme. I really thought the art was fantastic. They were going new places with uh, Doctor Strange, bringing him back into his um, in his medical practice, and just examining new and exciting ideas for Doctor Strange. Mark Wade has been writing Doctor Strange for a little while now, and so I'm sad to see him go. I'm sad to see this version of Doctor Strange go, but we'll just have to see where Doctor Strange pops up next. But the big news of the week, miscellaneous news, we got three pieces of video game news, and they are all, they're all pretty big, pretty big. Pretty big stuff. Uh, first off, Cyberpunk 2077 had its second edition of the Night City Wire, where it's showing off gameplay, some of the story elements. And uh, this one was, I think, just as noteworthy as the first one. Uh, examined the backstory mechanics, where you're basically, when you're building your character, you're going to have your choice of three different backstories. You can either be a nomad entering the city from the beginning of the game, where you live in, like, the wastelands, and you're... You start the game heading towards uh, Night City. You can either choose Street Kid, which is basically you grew up on the streets of, Mid of Night City and you like know all the nooks and crannies, or you can be a you can choose the Corpo background, where you're a corporate guy or gal um, who has climbed the uh, 
the social and economic rungs, and it looks like things still go bad for you. So you can either be, you know, like a nomad, a poor kid, or a rich kid. And so I like that they're giving these um, these options. Um, I think it provides a lot of replayability as well for, you know, wanting to create different characters with different backgrounds. And having the basically what they said was that having a specific background will give you uh, specific perks will give you uh, different dialogue options and story options so again it's exciting the amount of branching capabilities when it comes to the storytelling and the gameplay is really really cool speaking of the gameplay they also showed off a bunch of new weapons basically going into the differences between like power weapons smart weapons melee weapons tech weapons I'm still waiting to see a crossbow somewhere, a crossbow, bow and arrow, something. Uh, we did see in the little menu that it does say throwables. There's all different kinds of weapons. There's been no mention of like a crossbow mechanic or anything. I really want a crossbow in this game. I will live if it's not a crossbow, and I'll just I'll just go melee because that's that's my my go-to. But for this, I I'm really hoping that we get something like that. Um, Besides that, it was pretty much just kind of showing off those things, showing off the uh, some of the engine, uh, talking about some characters here and there. Apparently there is a class of citizen called Fixers, who basically rich people go to to be like, hey, here's a problem, and the Fixers find and hire people to solve those problems. And so uh, your character will be one of those people hired by a Fixer to go fix a problem, and then the events of the game come to pass. So we'll see. I'm really excited about it. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. Uh, this is not the last Night City Wire that uh, will be showcased before the game drops on November 19th. Uh, they also shut off some of the music. Um, I don't really know the name of the singer, but they showed him kind of uh, in the recording process and... I thought it was incredibly candid, the recording process where, you know, you had your director basically telling you, nope, that's shit. We got to keep, we got to redo that. Um, not a lot of uh, behind the scenes show that. So I, you know, kudos to them for showing the process. Uh, but he was basically doing vocals for the, um, for Keanu Reeves' character, uh, Johnny Silverhand's band Samurai. And apparently, their band, Samurai, has, I think, three songs now available on Spotify, so you can go check that out. Uh, moving on to a big announcement, also ahead of DC Fandom, Rocksteady. Rocksteady is the game developer that has basically run the game when it comes to... Uh, I, I think not just Batman games, but I think superhero games as a whole, especially when we're talking about DC Comics. Um, Rocksteady was the mastermind behind the Arkham City, Ar the Arkham series, uh, basically helming Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight. And now it looks like they're going to be dipping their toes into the realm of the anti-hero because they announced that the next game in development for them is a Suicide Squad game. They dropped on Twitter a teaser image which showcases what looks to be Superman uh, kind of shot from the back and there is a uh, target on his on the on the back of his head that makes the suicide squad logo it's a cool logo and i think for their marketing having that be the logo and being able to stick it on different dc heroes is really cool um but i do question if this is actually superman that they're going to be going up against or if it's bizarro um he does have some purplish uh coloring when it comes to um 
the actual image. There's also like a crackling effect around the eye, which is normally uh, attributed to Bizarro. And it might it might mean nothing at all, but his little S curl is also backwards. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm excited about it. Uh, pretty much assume that we won't be getting any additional information until DC Fandom, but it gives you just another reason to go check it out. And then finally, on the other side of the pond, Marvel and Crystal Dynamics released the first beta for their Avengers game, which will be dropping in less than a month. And I played it. I played the beta for a little bit. I didn't want to play too much of it because I don't want to get burned out on the game, especially because it does seem like that is that could be an issue. Um, first off, just I'm going to give you my first impressions of it. I enjoyed it. Overall, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm still looking forward to the game. I'm still hyped, and I'm still looking forward to being able to drop into missions with my friends with my buddies and just knocking out missions in the Marvel universe. Super stoked, super hyped about that. However, there are certain things that I think uh, need to be re-examined. The maps are a little, um, uh, what's the word? Um, they're jumbled. They don't feel as like, you know, when you go into an open space and an open world game and you're like, okay, I'm interested in going there. Um, Ghost of Tsushima did this wonderfully, where it's like, oh, I see some smoke in the distance, let's go check it out. Um, the open areas in uh, Avengers so far, just from the gameplay that I've had, uh, they feel almost uh, claustrophobic. They feel very cluttered. And a lot of the times if I stumbled upon like a, uh, a treasure chest or anything like that, it was just that. It wasn't me going to like look for it. It was me like stumbling on it out of luck. So I'm hoping that that's just kind of a problem with the early the early missions and the early uh, maps because the game the beta basically brought you through the a day prologue and then gave you two other um, story missions with Kamala Khan and the Hulk uh, Kamala's super fun uh, if I had to go down the line of like the people I enjoyed playing the most, it was Cap at the top because of course, and I loved, loved, loved his gameplay. I was so mad that I only got like two to five minutes of gameplay with him because it's so short at the very beginning. Um, but Cap, I also really enjoyed uh, Kamala. Kamala, you probably spend the most time with um, besides the Hulk. Uh, so it's Cap, Kamala, I really enjoyed Thor's gameplay, I like being able to throw the hammer, uh, call it back to you, Black Widow is probably right up there as well, so they're kind of my top four, and then we go down to like uh, Iron Man, Iron Man's flight was really clunky for me, and I could say the same about Thor, um, the flight mechanic just feels very, um, I don't know, it feels really clunky, it feels kind of like they didn't really know what to do with it, and so it almost just kind of feels tacked on when you're in combat much better but the flight sequences were really not my cup of tea and then in the last place i had the hulk i wasn't a fan of the hulk's gameplay and, and from what i can tell this is kind of a consensus for a lot of people who played the beta this past weekend um the hulk just felt really really slow uh, slow and lumbering, and I get he's huge he's the hulk but he's also super deceptively quick and even when you're like clicking the analog stick to make them run, which 
works for every single other character, he's still just kind of lumbering around really slow. Um, in combat, he's not the most fun either, since a lot of his combat, and I was surprised by this, is very just um, button mashy. And the whole game is button mashy, don't get me wrong, in that kind of uh, fun Ultimate Alliance way. And I don't mind that. I don't mind button mashy. Um, but the Hulk was just not as much fun to play as I would have liked. But thankfully, that's why they have all these other characters to play. Um, I pretty much played through the story missions, and then I did one of the um, one of the additional war zones or the drop zones, whatever they're called. Um, and it was good. It was good uh, during once you complete the three um, story missions, you also gain control of uh, Iron Man and Black Widow. And out of those four, like Kamala and Black Widow are probably my favorites to play. Again, not a bad game at all. I'm not knocking the game. I think there are certain things that they can tighten up. Um, also, the opening of Treasure Chests is just, it feels very PlayStation 2 which bothers me. Um, so there are a lot of kinks. There are a lot of kinks that need to be ironed out for this game, but I have total faith in this developer that they will be able to knock it out. Um, there are going to be betas for the rest of the week, uh, or for the rest of the month. Every weekend, pretty much in August, we're getting a beta. So this past weekend was for people who pre-ordered the game. I think next weekend is for PC and Xbox and playstation um what's it called uh playstation by playstation gamers um who didn't pre-order it but do have um are able to go in and then the final weekend of august is going to be just a full open beta for everybody i probably won't be diving back into the beta uh just because like i said i don't want to get burnt out of the game before even you know the game even comes out but i'm excited i'm hopeful i'm really looking forward to um building up your character i've heard that the combat gets better as you upgrade your character which makes sense um as you upgrade them you give them new moves you build up their gear uh it's very it's pretty much what everybody described it to be it's basically destiny with marvel characters and i don't mind that um I'm excited for the game. I don't want it to sound like I'm not. I'm really, really excited for the game. I have it pre-ordered. It's paid in full. It should be showing up day one. Um, I just, I think that there are definitely some weak points that I'm hoping they will tweak and um, improve upon. So that does it for this week's news. We are now going to be rolling on into the main course of the episode, the Andre, if you will, which is our latest Geek Explain spotlight on Superman Smashes the Clan. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Today we begin a brand new story. The story of baseball and the discovery of a menace that will lead Superman and his friends through many dangerous adventures. So last year when it was around this time, around my birthday, we dropped an episode called Captain America and Me where I kind of talked about how the character entered into my life, why I like the character, some of my favorite stories with the character, and really um, why his stories and his um, just 
his character resonates with me so much. And I thought about doing that again this year with um, arguably, you know, it changes depending on the day, uh, my favorite comic book character of all time, that being Superman. But I thought, you know, there's... Outside of just doing that, because I've talked about Superman so many times, um, I've just, I've talked about Superman a lot. Um, I wanted to kind of do something different. I wanted to do something that celebrates the character that I love so much, but also kind of fits into where the podcast is now. The podcast grows with every episode, grows with every month, every year that goes by. And now that we're in Volume 3, I wanted to kind of keep a consistent pace. And so um, this week's episode is going to be the August edition of the Geek Explained Spotlight. That's the series where every month we cover a different uh, book, a different graphic novel, a different comic series that I love and we kind of talk about it. We dive deep into the story and um, I just kind of talk about the reasons I love it so much. Um, last month's uh, Geek Explained Spotlight was on Tom Taylor and Juan Cabal's Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man and this month is a story that's very near and dear to my heart. And that is Superman Smashes the Clan, written by Jean Lun Yang with Arpe Gurihiru. Um, this story, man, um, it's probably, it's one of my favorite Superman stories of all time. It is absolutely in the top five for me. And there are a lot of reasons why. Um, but first, before I talk about it, I kind of want to talk about you know, how everything came to be going into it, because it resonates with me not just as a story, but how it all came together as well. So I'm pretty sure everyone knows Superman. Everybody gets Superman, the idea, um, you know, last summon of Krypton sent away by his mother and father off planet before the planet was doomed to explode, uh, finds himself on, um, on Earth in Smallville, Kansas, he's adopted by the Kents, he is raised as a human being, as an Earthling, and finds out that because of the Earth's yellow sun, uh, he has extraordinary powers. And that was kind of the premise of Superman. Superman was this... Um, for a long time, a lot of people kind of consider Superman as this, like, unreachable goal. Um, Superman is the ideal. He is the Big Blue Boy Scout. He's got all of these different names. But for me, when I first was introduced to the character, he was just, um, he was just a guy. He was Superman. I was introduced to Superman uh, with the Superman animated series. I love that series to death. I think it's still one of the best representations of not just Superman. Superman, but his entire supporting cast. And Superman is a character that I hold near and dear to my heart. I'm, I always have. Um, at different stages of my life, I've identified with different things about him. Uh, Superman, when I was a kid, was, you know, it's, it's the power fantasy that we all kind of see Superman as, as a kid, where it's like, oh man, if I could only fly, if I could shoot lasers out of my eyes, if I could, you know, run super fast, be invulnerable, you know, all of these things that we would love to do and kind of, you know, jump around with as kids. But as I got older, 
and I started to um, get a little bit more versed in his comics, in his films, in his um, animated movies, even in his um, extended role in the DC animated universe. Um, I started to notice something, and as uh, the years went on, I started to kind of uh, grow into my own person, who I am. Um, I started to connect with Superman even more than I did when I was a little kid. And one of the big reasons um, behind that is because I, um, I recognized that Superman was an immigrant and that Superman was perpetually caught between two worlds, trying to find the balance between his Kryptonian side and his human side. And growing up as an Asian-American kid who was, you know, too Asian to really identify with a lot of the... Um, Caucasian kids growing up and to Caucasian to um, identify with a lot of with the few Asian kids that I interacted with growing up, I kind of perpetually felt like I was caught between two worlds. And as I, you know, started to get invested in Superman comics and comics in general, I started to find that I connected with Superman on that level. I connected with Superman not as this, you know, golden god coming down from the sky and, you know, lifting up a mountain, but as this this guy who's trying to find a balance between like what is his um what is his place in the world what is his um what does he identify as is he kryptonian is he from earth is he from kansas um the debate has kind of raged on for decades on you know who is the real superman is it superman is it clark is it somewhere in between um and for me, it always came down to what he represented in his actions. And Superman, from his core, was someone who fought for the little guy, fought against injustice, and fought for truth, justice, and hope for tomorrow. And, you know, I, I've always loved that about him. That even if he makes a decision that isn't popular deep down it's always the decision that he made in accordance to how he was raised um a lot of people kind of forget how uh inherent ma and pa kent's um raising him like molded him into who he is and when he was first created back in the uh late 30s um, he was kind of this perennial advocate for the New Deal and for what um, a lot of Americans were trying to look for in this semi-hopeless time pre-World War II. And Superman was kind of this beacon for them. He was the guy who fought against corruption. You know, he was a you know, and some people might get offended by this term, but he was a social justice warrior. He fought for people who were downtrodden. He fought for the people who needed a helping hand. And he was a guy who was more focused on helping people than on using his abilities to get a leg up in life. And that kind of evolved as time went on during the 40 or during the early 40s during world war ii he was used as propaganda he was used as this um you know symbol of american might and you know buy war bonds and all this stuff on their comics and after the war 
everyone kind of struggled with what to do with Superman. And none more so than an adaptation of the character in the Superman radio show. Uh, the Superman radio show was a was basically a uh, weekly, it, it was either daily or weekly, um, maybe bi-weekly, something like that, uh, radio show that started off in the, um, in the early 1940s. And most of the early uh, stories in, in that radio show dealt with a lot of the stuff that um, Golden Age Superman was known for fighting against, fighting against corruption, fighting against bigotry, fighting against racism, all of this stuff. Um, and after the war, you know, the producers were kind of looking for something to, um, something to, for, they were kind of looking for a direction. Um, the show itself was a smash hit. They didn't need any help with that. Um, and a lot of that had to do with its, um, with its star. Uh, Bud Collier was the name, was the name of the man who played Superman. Um, the Superman, uh, intro for that is so iconic where it's, um, you know, look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane it's superman and you know we hear that a lot now but like that's where it was placed superman the radio show was um was responsible for a lot of the modern trappings that we know with superman you know he's uh he's faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive able to leap tall buildings in a single bound like those things all came from the radio show and the radio show was so popular because of how those characters were portrayed and a big part of that was bud collier bud collier was a was a radio star a very well-known figure and for whatever reason um during the initial run of the show from uh, 1940 to 1946 uh bud collier was not listed or credited as superman they wanted to keep his voice or his identity a secret and i i think this is so cool i don't know why they did this to be honest with you but um they wanted to keep his identity a secret um, to kind of, I guess, perpetuate the um, the idea and the concept of Superman. Like Superman is this character. Bud Collier is just a guy, but Superman is a symbol, you know, to pull a little bit from, uh, from Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. But that all changed um, in 1946 when Superman was used in a promotional campaign for... Um, basically for racial and religious tolerance. And the show was very big on that. It was very big on um, fighting against injustice, fighting for tolerance of class, of race, of religion, all of these things. And um, to kind of support this campaign, Bud Collier did an interview with Time Magazine about the campaign, kind of explaining what it was, um, what they were going for, and why it was so important. And that's when his identity was kind of revealed to the world. Um, the show was also um, was also iconic for bringing in things like uh, Jimmy Olsen, for bringing in things like Perry White, uh, the idea of kryptonite, uh, Bill Henderson, the... Uh, you know, Superman flying. It was all 
brought in for this show to make it, you know, punch a little harder. In fact, the first um, real meeting between Superman and Batman and Robin was on this show, uh, the March 2nd, 1945 episode, where they met for the first time. Um, And chronologically, if you look at it, this was the first time they met even before the comics, because they didn't meet in the comics. Let me pull this up again. Uh, They didn't officially meet in the comics. They had been referenced on, like, covers, um, on covers together, you know, supporting the war effort, and then little background images on on, uh, JSA comics. But the first time that they officially crossed over and had a conversation, had an adventure together, wasn't until Superman 76 in June of 1952. So the radio show beat out the actual comics for the two biggest DC characters ever to meet by about, uh, what is that, Um, seven years. So the radio show was a huge deal, and they were the platform for a lot of the ideals of Superman and of the people uh, responsible for creating the show, you know, Superman was, as you know, we know by now, um, created by two Jewish kids, and that permeates the character. It, you can tell that these kids wanted to tell a story and wanted to, um, to tell a message with this character, and this radio show did that. But following the war, you know, Superman could only punch so many Nazis, so they needed a new... Um, a new enemy, a new uh, villain for Superman to fight. Enter Stetson Kennedy, a young journalist who, along with the uh, Anti-Defamation League, had infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan, which was seeing a resurgence post-World War II, and wanted to kind of expose the Klan for what it was, which is, and always has been, and always will be, a group of bigots. And Stetson Kennedy wanted to get the message that, hey, the KKK sucks, and they are starting to come back, so we need to get the word out on the biggest platform possible. So he came to the um, producers of the Superman radio drama and was like, hey, I can share some of the information that I've learned so that we can produce a story that will not only provide you with some great um, great entertainment for your audiences, but also get the word out that um, that intolerance on this scale will not be um, will not be accepted. And so they decided they were going to create a story called the Clan of the Fiery cross which was a 16 part serial that saw superman face off against the titular clan of the fiery cross which was so obviously the ku klux klan with the white sheets burning crosses um and their just baseline ideology that um it was it was pretty clear that not just the show but superman as a symbol was taking a stand against bigotry against racism and against intolerance in that fashion and it was a wild success uh after the uh release of this radio serial you started to see the numbers of the Ku Klux Klan dwindle once again, and it did have a huge cultural impact on informing the nation like, hey, this sucks. These people suck, so we need to like figure this out. Um, 
And this story is probably the most famous story of that radio drama. And it's, you know, rightfully so, because with this story, the radio drama, everyone behind the scenes, the actors, and Superman himself as this icon took a stand against all of these terrible things against prejudice, against racism, against intolerance, and they made it pretty clear that Superman is for everybody. Flash forward. Flash forward to, let's say, what is it, 2018? 2017? Let's say 2018. Uh, DC Comics had kind of changed you know as time goes on uh comics companies change this is decades now later so in 2018 which feels like 60 years ago at this point uh there was a book being put out called uh trinity it was basically superman batman wonder woman it was a book kind of bringing them together and telling stories involving the three of them and there was a story that was proposed that would have seen uh, the Trinity protecting a bigoted hate speaker from an angry mob. And this story, while having been proposed and approved, um, was ultimately discarded and trashed in favor of a different story that didn't have any kind of political um, ties to it. And a lot of people kind of pointed to this idea of uh, political fatigue, that uh, DC Comics was trying to steer themselves away because of all of the... Um, how prevalent uh, politics had become, especially since the 2016 election. And... It felt like, okay, DC Comics isn't going to touch on anything political before or political now, so we're just, we won't kind of expect that in our comics. And then DC Comics approves Greenlights and announces a book called Superman Smashes the Clan, written by Gene Lun Yang with art by Goody Hiru. Uh, this book was set to adapt and modernize the original Clan of the Fiery Cross story. Um, the comic would still be set in uh, post-World War II Metropolis. All of the same characters would be involved. But another, um, another story would be kind of laced under there to give it kind of a, a comic's oomph. And it was really exciting when this was announced, especially because Gene Lun Yang was kind of this writer on the rise. Um, he had done a stint on the mainline Superman book following the uh, Jeff Johns, John Romita Jr. run in the New 52, and he had moved on um, following that into New Superman, which was the story of um, Kenan Kong, the Chinese Superman. It's a, oh, it's so good. It's so good. You need to read it. Um, but Jin Lun Yang, I think, was a perfect choice for this book. Um, he was, he's a uh, Chinese American man who really connected with the Clan of the Fiery Cross story, uh, like many Americans, and he wanted to tell that story um, in a modern context, because not only was the story kind of iconic, but it was also 
really topical at the time that it was coming out. Um, I don't think it's a, you know, a hot take to say that uh, racial tensions have been pretty much at the forefront for most Americans for the last four years and, uh, and probably even longer. So it's, it was the right time to announce a book like this and bringing in Guri Hiru, which was an, usually an anime, uh, art design company uh, to come in and do this felt really exciting because it was telling the story, especially for me when this was announced, it was telling the story about Superman written and illustrated by Asian, by Asian talent. And as an Asian American, I was super freaking stoked about this, especially because I loved the story of Superman versus the Ku Klux Klan. I, um, as soon as I found out that that was a thing, I listened to the radio drama. I went back and read the uh, book kind of chronicling the story. If you want to check that out, it's called Superman vs. the KKK. Check it out. It's a great book. talks about how the thing came to pass and um, stoked my fires for wanting to see a, um, a biopic or some kind of film um, about putting that uh, putting that radio drama together. I think it'd be really cool. Um, and the most exciting thing about this was that it wasn't going to be this um, this like prestige format like for adults magazine um, you know book. It was going to be published under the DC Zoom line. For those of you who don't know the DC Zoom line um, or the DC Ink line, whatever they want to call it, because it doesn't really exist anymore. Um, DC Zoom was basically a line of comics for DC to kind of counteract uh, DC Black Label. DC Black Label being like for for adults uh, line of comics. DC Zoom was going to be for a younger crowd, for young adults, for kids. And I thought that it was incredibly smart to tell this story in that line because so many kids are shaped by um by comics by tv by um cartoons by f movies all of these things from fiction will shape their um their mindset and their views and their biases and all of these things and so telling a story like this which is so honest so true and so raw um, was really exciting to get in front of young readers because it's a story that I don't think a whole lot of kids know about and it's a story that is like I said incredibly topical and it being in a periodical format it's three big books is how it was originally uh, released um, it made it like it was an event book every time like you're picking up these mini graphic novels that you could read through and get both a satisfying story as well as the next episode in a series and the book itself remains pretty close to um to the original radio drama when it comes to its themes when it comes to most of the plot um i am going to throw up a quick spoiler warning just because um that's what I should do as a responsible podcaster. Um, but this book, you need to go read this. If you haven't read this before, you need to read it. It's it's incredible. So um, the book basically focuses on Roberta Lee. Roberta Lee, along with her brother Tommy and her two parents, have just moved into the suburbs of Metropolis out, out of their former neighborhood in Chinatown. And 
Roberta is having a hard time fitting in because she is Chinese American. There is a lot of um, distrust with Asian Americans following the events of World War II. And so she is having a hard time connecting with being in a pretty much all white neighborhood. The only people of Asian descent being pretty much her family. And so she meets Jimmy Olsen, they subsequently meet Lois Lane, her co-worker Clark Kent, and they are introduced to Superman, who at this point is still Golden Age Superman, my favorite version of Superman. Um, where he's got the Fleischer symbol, which is my favorite symbol on Superman of all time. He has the limited... Um, power set where he's just very strong very fast he can jump really far but he can't fly he can't shoot lasers um and one of the things that i absolutely love that i don't remember ever being used before is instead of flying what he does to get around traffic is he runs along the telephone wires so that's how he travels so quickly from place to place because they're everywhere and um they're up and out of the way of civilians so he doesn't uh, put them in danger i just I love this book so much. Um, Tommy is a big fan of baseball, and when he gets involved in the youth club, they want to bring him onto the team, and that is when he comes into conflict with Chuck Riggs, the current pitcher of their uh, youth center community team, who is a bigot. He is um, a little racist. He calls uh, Tommy China boy and calls uh, Roberta China girl. Um when their uh, when their conflict kind of flares up, uh, Jimmy Olsen, as manager of the team, kicks off kicks Chuck off of the team uh, in favor of Tommy because Tommy is an incredible pitcher and Chuck um, sucks at this point. Um, so basically, uh, Chuck goes back to his house and he talks to his uncle, who, as we come to find out, is the uh, he's the Grand Scorpion of the Clan of the Fiery Cross. Basically, he's the Grand uh, Master of the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. And what makes this even more complicated for Chuck is that he's a huge Superman fan. He walks around in red boots all day, and he's pretty much always seen with his Superman t-shirt, which looks strangely similar to my personal Superman t-shirt, which gave me some conflicting feelings. But... What happens with this story is that it is one of acceptance, it is one of tolerance, it is one of fighting against the people who would look to judge you or um, um, show prejudice towards you because of your skin color or your beliefs or your background. And as the story escalates alongside the growing threat of the Clan of the Fiery Cross, we get this, um, we get uh, Kryptonite introduced into this as well. It's the first time that Superman encounters Kryptonite, um, along with these like Nazi scientists who are also partly uh, clan scientists. It's, it, it, I'm not doing it justice. You need to read the book, honestly. It's so good. Um, Superman is also struggling at this point with his own identity. Um, upon his first uh, exposure to kryptonite, he starts to see himself with uh, green scaly skin and starts to see 
in the mirror the images of aliens from science fiction comics he read as a kid. And we come to find out that during his childhood, his powers started to manifest themselves. He was levitating, he was shooting uh, his heat vision out, and though he was supported by both his parents as well as uh, the local sheriff, who is a super cool guy, um, Clark overhears a conversation between his parents, Martha and John, and they basically talk about the idea that um, if people find out who he is, they would want to hurt him. So they are going to try to raise him as normal as possible. This is running directly into conflict with um, Jonathan having previously explained to Superman that, or having explained to Clark that they found him in this pod. There was this weird, they call it a phonograph, um, but it was this piece of Kryptonian technology that um, speaks Kryptonian. And Clark is spooked by this because he just wants to be normal. He just wants to be accepted. And so he goes and he chucks the photograph that is uh, that has the House of L symbol emblazoned upon it, as well as, you know, speaking in Kryptonian, and chucks it into the nearby lake. And from then on, Superman represses his more alien aspects. So hence why we see his... Um, his more grounded power set. And throughout this story, alongside, like I said, the uh, growing threat of the Ku Klux Klan, or I guess the Clan of the Fiery Cross in the story, um, Clark is struggling with who he wants to be because he's starting to get visions of this, um, of this alien couple dressed in these strange alien uh, clothes. And as he starts to fight back against the clan he starts to um gain a a weird uneasiness 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 i'm going to say uneasiness uh with himself because he is starting to remember those suppressed memories of him you know feeling like he's an alien and he's different and he's an outcast um as he goes to uh help out roberta as clark there's this great um mirroring of after the clan goes after the lee family house uh clark shows up with lois and jimmy the following morning to you know get the story and clark wraps his suit jacket around roberta while he's talking to her and later on uh superman goes to rescue tommy who gets kidnapped by the members of the clan um and is led to where they were planning on, I guess, um, probably lynching him or something else equally terrible. Um, he's led there by Roberta as well as Chuck, who is starting to see how his uncle's worldview is flawed and how if he's in direct opposition to Superman, that maybe he's not in the right. And so um, Chuck leads them there. Uh, Superman rescues Tommy, who ends up breaking his arm while trying to escape. And Superman puts his um, his blanket, or his, his cape, onto Tommy while he's resting. Um, Roberta tries to give the cape back to Superman, and in a just... A wonderful, lovely Superman moment. Uh, Superman's like, you know, um, when I started this, my ma, um, she recognized how dangerous, you know, crime fighting could be. So she actually made me a ton of these capes. So you keep that. And uh, Roberta's mom ends up 
taking the cape and stitching it into a jacket for Roberta, who at the beginning of the story lost her favorite jacket because she threw up on it because she gets uh, carsick. So um, it's just, it's so, it's so good. So the story of Roberta and Clark trying to find acceptance with not just their communities, but with themselves is parallel to each other. Um, The clan ends up hatching a plan to blow up the youth community center. Superman is able to save, uh, save everybody and, you know, stop the clan. But ultimately, uh, Chuck's father gets away because of his connections. It's a deep seated bigotry that runs through this community. And it just goes to show that even, you know, that bigotry does not, is not saved for people who dress up in white robes it could be the cop who is patrolling the streets it could be your mailman it could be um a local member of your uh of your local government you know it's it's a great lesson for people to learn and a great lesson for kids to learn reading the story um but as clark starts to struggle with this idea of identity uh roberta is actually the one that talks to him about like, hey, when we were like doing our jump, I could feel you like stopping yourself and kind of like cushioning yourself from um, from the impact. Like you're holding back. Like you're, and Roberta's the first person to say like, why don't you fly? And Superman, you know, kind of has this weird like panic attack moment and he just leaves and he bolts, which was one of the most like um, relatable Superman moments I've ever read. I was like, oh, I've been there. When someone asks me a question that I'm not comfortable answering and I have a mini panic attack, so I have to just nope out of that situation. I think we've all been there, you know, once or twice. So uh, Clark ends up going and um, talking to his parents because he doesn't want to be different. The reason that he is so... um, quote-unquote depowered in the story is because he is afraid of being different and he's afraid of how people would view him if he you know could fly or could shoot lasers out of his eyes and i thought that was such a great story to tell and a story that we haven't heard from superman before um just this idea that he would hold himself back because he's afraid of being different and um i can relate to that I, growing up, was, um, as, you know, I talked about before, uh, I really struggled with my identity. Like, who was I? What was I going to be? What kind of person was I? Um, I remember distinctly, you know, when I was a, when I was a little kid being called, uh, the China boy. I am not Chinese, to (laughs) make this clear. Um, but because I had that traditional, uh, Asian kid haircut where at some point every asian kid has had a bowl cut growing up it's just it's a fact um you know kids called me a the china boy um and even though i didn't really know what it meant when i was a kid as i start to started to get older when people would you know just refer to me as like oh you're asian or you're the asian i started to really resent being asian And I tried my best to be as white as possible um, because I didn't interact with a whole lot of Asians growing up. Um, I was a military household. We moved around a lot. And the places that we moved to didn't have what I would call the largest 
uh, Asian population. Um, so most of my peers were white. And so I tried to identify myself more with them. And so I, as I got older, I started to, um, like I said, I started to really resent kind of being Asian. I started to just not enjoy when people refer to me as that. I remember having a conversation with somebody uh, my senior year of high school of them saying oh you're, you're Asian and I'm like yeah but I'm like I'm not like Asian and you know having to try to like explain what that meant because that's nonsense and I um that was kind of the first time that I was really like maybe there's something wrong with how I'm looking at this and after high school when I started to grow as a person you know like you do hopefully um I started to kind of connect more with my uh, with both of my heritages. Um, my dad is from is an immigrant. He is an immigrant from uh, Manila, from the Philippines. My mom was born and raised on a farm in Indiana. So I had a lot of those um, same thing, same um, qualities that I always associated with Superman. Uh, he was an immigrant. An immigrant. In this case, I was the son of an immigrant. Um, kind of raised on those, you know, American values with the influence of my mom, because I spent a lot of time with her, um, with my dad being deployed so often. So I got to, so I connected with her and her upbringing and her, um, her way of uh, tackling situations, uh, as you know, as a kid and throughout my childhood. And so uh, I didn't realize until I got older, you know, why those things connected with me so well. And when I started to finally kind of figure out like, oh, I can be both things. I can be, you know, of Filipino and, you know, Scottish heritage. I can be all of these things. I don't have to be just one inside one little box. And that was incredibly empowering for me. Um kind of finding that out and realizing that I could have that. I could f I could be my own person without, you know, being, oh, you're this. Um, and it's something that I still struggle with, and I think a lot of people struggle with. So this particular uh, plot for Superman was really resonated with me a lot. Um, and there was this there's this moment where he um, he goes to his parents and he hugs them and he's like, "Promise me that no matter what happens, no matter what I do, we're still going to be a family." And it just speaks to the Kents. It speaks to how perfect their relationship is. Um, and of course, his parents say yes, and Clark dives into the lake to try to retrieve the phonograph that he had thrown in, and I'm using phonograph quotations, the alien artifact that he threw into the lake when he was a kid. And he finds out, and I think this is genius, um, that the uh, device is broken, but the residual materials from the device um, have crystallized. And as he follows the trail of the crystallization, he finds the Fortress of Solitude. And I, it's just, I mean, there is a little bit of like, how big is this How big is this lake? But I loved that. I absolutely loved that. And when he goes into the fortress, he is met with the 
strange alien couple that have been um, appearing in his visions. And they reveal themselves as Jor-El and, and Lara, his parents, his Kryptonian parents. So they kind of let him know, like, hey, like, this is the deal. This is what's going on with you. This is where you come from. This is why you were sent here. Giving him the ability to not, not only know his upbringing as you know, a kid in Kansas, but also to be this, um, this alien, this person from another planet. And there's also a flashback to him kind of becoming Superman for the first time that I absolutely love. Um, he's going to, uh, the circus with Lana and they, you know, get their tickets and it's this like schlubby guy who's just like whatever and they go in the circus and they watch all the acts and the strong man comes out and he's you know up here and he's like hello i'm samson the strong man and clark's looking at him and he's just like wow that's like he's so strong he's awesome and lana's like that's the ticket guy and clark's like no way they're two completely different people and he looks at him and he sees the scar over his left eye he recognizes his face and it's the guy it's the schlubby ticket guy is also this strongman samson and all it took was him throwing on a strongman uniform putting on a wig and a cape and so i just i love that i love that that's the origin of him creating the superman persona um the next day after basically the uh there's like a fire in the tent the fire was intense like at the circus that's bad we're gonna move on um Clark ends up holding off this lion who gets loose and following the following days, you know, Clark is having this moment where he's like, I can make a difference and I don't have to compromise my identity. And you find out that Ma, Martha Kent spent the entire night sewing up this costume for him that includes a cape and looks like a strong man, which is his Superman costume. But the, um, the, uh, chest has the superman the traditional superman symbol on it the fleischer superman symbol and clark is just like oh that's that's the symbol that was on the 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 phonogram the artifact that i fucking tossed when i was a little kid and his mom in ma kent who is a champion uh just basically says like it kind of looks like a you know a weirdly shaped s just let people think it's an S, you know, otherwise the design would look kind of boring. And it just like, okay, cool. Um, and Superman goes off. And that's the birth of Superman. But going back to present day, um, uh, where was I? Uh, Chuck's, <laughs> I lost the plot. Uh, Chuck's uncle escapes and he goes to his leader, like the grand, grand master of the clan who reveals to him, much like um, the real life clan that, the upper management, the upper hierarchy of the Kukla, of the Clan of the Fiery Cross isn't about, you know, purity, one race, one religion, you know, one skin color, or one color, one race, one religion, something like that. Um, it's about making money and about getting, you know, money for orientation fees from all the members. And it's a, it's a money scandal. Like, it's a money scam. 
Um, Chuck's uncle kills his grandmaster in uh, in a blind rage because he has become indoctrinated to this one race, one color, one religion mantra. And he shows up the next day at the big uh, baseball game where he is intent on killing everybody. Uh, during this... Um, during this process of meeting with the Grandmaster, he also finds out about Superman's origins or basically about him, you know, being um, otherworldly because uh, the kryptonite that is introduced is being experimented on by the scientists that are running the Clan of the Fiery Cross. It's so well woven together. It's just, oh, it's so good. Um, and uh, Chuck's uncle is fully prepared to like kill everybody there, but Superman shows up and not just Superman flying Superman who disarms, uh, the grand scorpion with his heat vision and everyone is immediately just terrified. There's this kid who's just like, who throughout the entire book after, you know, uh, Roberta and Tommy meet Superman, they're like, I bet he smells like cotton candy clouds. And this kid in like, it's heartbreaking because he's watching this, person who he thought he knew you know you know um uh lowering down from the sky he's like he doesn't smell like cotton candy he smells like ash and it's like oh it's heartbreaking and superman is you know floating in the air here to stop him but just like in real life words and superstition and fear can um can really turn a crowd because the grand scorpion is basically like look at him he's not one of us he's an alien and he is the most alien of all of us you know i've been preaching about you know the blacks and the asians and the ching chongs how their words their words in there there is some offensive language here um i just have to warn you but um he's like he's the most alien of all and some of the people in the crowd are like oh my god he's an alien grand scorpion destroy him like protect us to which the kids are just like are you serious um so superman you know just lets it out he tells everyone like i am from another planet i was born on the planet krypton but i came here i've raised here i'm one of you and i want to you know, regardless of where I come from, what my background is, I'm one of you. We are in this together. And though the fear is still alive in a lot of people, um, he's kind of able to turn the tide with the majority of the crowd uh, through his honesty. And that's when uh, the Grand Scorpion is just like, well, whatever, I've got a suicide vest. Superman snatches the guy up and flies up into the sky, and he... Um, uses his uh, his newly minted uh, freeze breath to freeze the bomb and uh, is able to disarm it. And and I'm just going to read this to you because I just I love this so much. Um, the Grand Scorpion is basically just like, you know, you really are a fool, Superman. You have such power. Even I must concede that you are the true superior race. Why fight for a family of Ching Chongs? Superman says, where I'm from, we take care of our own. Uh, Grand Scorpion says, you're calling the Lees your own? And Superman says, yes. 
So the Grand Scorpion says, Ha, you've been brainwashed by corrupt newspapers and textbooks, Superman. The Lees aren't your own. You share no blood with them, no history. There's literally nothing that binds you together. That has been the clan's point all along. A nation bound by nothing cannot last. And Superman hits him with this line, But we are bound together. The less are the Lees and I, our friends at the Daily Planet and the Unity House and the police department, everyone down there, really. We are bound together by the future. We all share the same tomorrow. And what an incredible sentiment for a book written for children to say. Um, Superman is able to uh, basically defeat the Grand Scorpion and apprehend him. And... In this moment, he is able to kind of come to terms with himself, with the fact that he is different, with the fact that he is special, and the fact that he isn't like everybody else. And in the same way, in that very same vein, Roberta is able to come to that conclusion as well. Um, she comes to uh, Lois because Lois, during their interactions, is like, you're a smart cookie. Like, I would love for you to be like a cub reporter at the uh, Daily Planet. I think it'd be great. Um, basically, I just I want to read this scene, too, because I, I just I cried for this scene. I cried. I cried reading this scene. So um, forgive me for going through this. Uh, but basically, after everything's all said and done, you know, the baseball game happens. Um, the headline of the Daily Planet is Superman, immigrant from Krypton, citizen of Metropolis. His S is an ancient symbol for hope. And it's never this idea of like, sure, probably people were like, hey, you know, the S stands for Superman. But now that they know that um, the S is not just um, a symbol for him, but it's a symbol for his people and a symbol for his ideals. So uh, Roberta walks into uh, walks into the Daily Planet and runs into Clark, and she's like, "Hi, Mr. Kent. Uh, Roberta, Roberta Lee. Nice to meet you, or nice to see you. How's the rest of the family?" She says, good. Dad got a new job offer. Mom enrolled in some classes at Metropolis University. Tommy's helping the Unity House team prepare for the rescheduled championship game. Rescheduled? Oh, that's right, because all heck broke loose at the first game. There's also, they use a lot of, like, 40s and 50s uh, slang, and I love that. Um, so she says, until Superman showed up, he missed one of the biggest stories of the year, Mr. Kent. He says, huh, yeah, I seem to do that a lot. <laughs> Just classic um, George Reeves Superman. Um, you here for Jimmy? He And she says, Miss Lane, actually. And he says, she's in her office, humming to herself, if you can believe it. I've never, ever seen her in such a good mood. So Roberta goes to Lois. And she says, Miss Lane, I don't mean to bother you. She says, Roberta, what a lovely surprise. And Roberta pulls out um, this box with a pen in it and when lois gave her the offer to be a cub reporter for the daily planet she's like i think you would do great and she gives her this box with this really nice pen inside that has the initials ll on it um so roberta says um i came to give this back to you it's too expensive i can't accept it lois says nonsense you're gonna need it for your new job i was serious about the cub reporter position roberta says really but still, it has your initials on it. You should have it. And Lois, in uh, it's just, uh, I love it. I'm going to tear up, but I love it. Uh, she says, you know I always do my homework, right? When I wrote the article about what happened to your family, I researched your father, your mother, your brother, 
and you, Lan Shin Li. And you find out that in an effort to fit in with this uh, new and scary situation, uh, Lan Shin Li decided to anglo- anglicize, I think is the correct term, her name and turn it into Roberta Lee. And just this validation for Lan Shin to know that she is, she can be who she is. Um, the final uh, little uh, voiceover at the end says, My name is Lan Shin Lee. I'm a cub reporter for the Daily Planet. I've worked hard to make Metropolis, the city of tomorrow, my home, just like Superman. So by the end of this book, both Superman and Lan Shin have found peace with who they are, with what they represent, their background, their identity, their they're looking forward and it's just it's an incredible story um but the story isn't the only thing that's great about this book um featured in each issue was a kind of backup which um is kind of you know par for the course for comics especially for comics of this time but the backup here was something a little untraditional the backup was an essay called Superman and Me by Jean Loon Yang. And now you see why this kind of... It all connects. Um, but Yang basically talks about in this essay, and I think it's just as important as the actual comic itself, about his journey growing up, about his parents being immigrants, about the... Um, really harsh stigma against Asian Americans both uh, before, during, and after World War II. Um, he gives this incredibly real and honest recounting of not just his personal experiences, but the personal experiences of his family, of his father, who was an immigrant who basically spoke no English when he first moved to the States and kind of found solace in people who were willing to accept him for who he was. Um, as the uh, as the essay goes on, he starts to talk about acceptance in himself. He starts to talk about how much the story, The Clan of the Fiery Cross, really resonated with him and with his family. Um, there's a killer line here. Um, da, 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 da. Um, here it is. Um, and he talks. He kind of talks about how he was um, how he was lonely as a kid, and he references um, this classmate that he had in junior high that um, had untied shoes, and how that made him feel a certain type of way. But he also talks about uh, his dad's friend Dave. Um, I'm just gonna read this to you because I just I think it's I think it's that I think it's fantastic. Um, he says, my parents were able to achieve all that they have, all that they have, not only because they worked hard and believe me, they worked hard, but also because they immigrated over two decades after the Lees first moved to Metropolis to an America that had not given up the struggle for a true double victory. We are still in the midst of that struggle. Also a killer line. Uh, after my father arrived in America and before he met my mom, he was terribly lonely. 
He lived in a boarding house with other students. One of them was named Dave. Dave had dark brown hair and Clark Kent glasses, and he'd grown up in a town that was driving distance from campus. Dave must have sensed that my father needed a friend. Despite the language barrier, Dave began talking with my father. First one conversation, then another. On holidays, when the house cleared out, Dave invited my father to go with him to his parents' home. Dave's parents and siblings welcomed my father with open arms, just like the Kents would, and they shared many meals together. I felt a lot less lonesome during the holidays, my father says. I'm grateful for that warm friendship. Fifty years have passed. My father and Dave each found wives, raised families, started, and then ended careers. They are friends to this day. When I think about the future, what the future ought to be like, I don't think about my junior high classmate with the untied shoes. I think about the friendship between my dad and Dave. And then he kind of signs off his essay with this. Superman is one of our nation's and the world's most enduring icons. He seems to have always been there, and he's not going away anytime soon. Ever since defending a Chinese-American family in 1946, he stood for tolerance, justice, and hope. Even today, the immigrant from Krypton challenges us to follow his example more fully and more perfectly. We have to meet his challenge. After all, though our yesterdays may be different, we all share the same tomorrow and i think that's just it's incredible and it speaks to exactly what superman is um if you weren't aware if this is your first time listening to the podcast uh superman has been a political figure for pretty much his entire uh, existence as a comic book character if you want to go back um a few weeks, one of my favorite episodes that I've ever done is uh, Superman and a History of Social Justice, where I basically chronicle from his uh, from his creation all the way up to modern day exactly what Superman is, what he represents, and how that representation has both complemented and also contrasted a lot of the politics throughout uh, his history. Um, go check it out. It's one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of my many love letters to Superman as a character. Um, but one of the reasons that that episode, that this book and this story, though I'm not equating my podcasts to those wonderful works of art, it's, I just want to make that clear. Um, one of the big things about Superman is that he has, just like uh, Jin Lun Yang uh, talked about, he's always fought against racism and bigotry. And that's, as he said, we're in the midst of that fight right now. Um, there have been lots of racial tensions in the history of the United States. Um, it feels closer to home now than it ever has before um, in my lifetime. Um and so this is not just an important book to read because it's a good time and it's a great Superman story, but this is a, this is a book that needs to be read right now. This is a book that t talks about the things that were not just going on then, but are also going on today. Racial inequality, income inequality, class, um, bigotry, all of these things um, that we are facing in our day-to-day -day lives right now. This book is tackling those things. And again, and I can't stress this enough, this was for the line of DC books made for children. This was a story that is not just for kids, but is also incredibly for kids because it's so important that they learn this stuff it's so important that they learn to love their neighbor it's so important for them to learn tolerance for them to know that racism and bigotry is not okay and 
the way that the story tackles those ideas of you know, identity and being lost and not knowing um, whether it's okay to be different is a are themes that you can take away from this book and you can read this book and you can take something away from it regardless of your age. Um, and it's, you know, it's a story that I think is honestly timeless. It's a story that is an instant classic. Like I said, it's one of my favorite um, Superman stories of all time. And, you know, a big part of that is because as... Um, as an Asian American, I like seeing representation in my books. I know representation, especially when it comes to race, is like this huge hot button issue for some reason um, for a lot of comics fans, and I use that term loosely. Um, but nothing will, nothing ever makes me more excited than to see a story featuring my favorite superhero with characters that I relate to. And this is a story that is so important for everybody, but especially for Asian Americans to read that it's a book that I, you know, there are very few books that I look at and I'm like, that's a perfect five out of five, 10 out of 10, all the stars book. But this is one of those. This is one of those stories that though the uh, art is very uh, cartoony looking there is a heavy anime um there's a heavy anime influence on this and i'm not complaining about that because i freaking love anime check out our anime series um and is you know again technically for the young readers line this is a story that is for everybody to read this is a story that is something you're going to remember this is a story that shows the best of us shows the worst of us and lets us know that for all of his amazing powers, for all of the earth-shattering feats that he can do, Superman at his core from all the way up from today, all the way back to being just a concept on a sheet of paper by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, Superman has always fought for truth, justice, and hope for tomorrow. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we're reviewing episode 9 of Doom Patrol entitled Wax Patrol, which is also... Let me check my notes here. What? Wait a second. Season finale? Wait a second, did you know about this? COVID? All right. I guess this is the season finale. Uh, so basically, uh, according to reports, uh, the original 10-episode season for season two has been knocked down to nine episodes because of coronavirus-related um, stopping of production. I had no idea about this. I don't know how many people did. Maybe you knew about it beforehand. I did not. I was not aware. And so I was very surprised when I went to watch it and it said season finale and there was no preview for next week's episode. So that threw me for a loop. Um, 
especially because I feel like this episode, like, is a great episode for a penultimate episode for the season, which is what it was intended to be, and I get that. Um, but I was just, oh man, I was just, I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit more at the end, but, um, the episode itself was actually, um, was actually okay. I think this might be, let me look through just my general notes on the episodes. This might be honestly one of my least favorite episodes. And I don't like saying that because it was still a good episode, but, um, for me, it just felt, um, it felt like we had put so much time into other characters. And for this episode, it really focuses on two specific characters. First off with Jane. Um, we, the episode pretty much starts with Milwaukee, 1969, uh, following Miranda's escape of the, um, of Kay's household and escaping from her abusive father. Uh, Miranda is working at a diner in Milwaukee and she, um, has this kind of connection with this homeless uh, kid playing guitar and it flashes to some time later and they're in a relationship. And it was actually, this was the most engaged in the episode that I was. I was all in because Diane Guerrero has been so good in this show. It is an absolute crime that she has not at least been nominated for an Emmy because it's just for this episode alone, she turns out a performance that is award-worthy. Um, but we kind of get to see Miranda's kind of descent into losing control and losing her place as primary. And I kind of got the feeling that the guy, Johnny, um, was kind of a scumbag. Like, at the very beginning, he wasn't, like, positioned that way. But as the episode went on, they definitely leaned heavy into it. Um, kind of culminating in this moment where um, Miranda is essentially tricked into hosting an orgy. And she's basically, f you know, not physically forced, but verbally and emotionally forced, which is just as bad, um, into having sex with his boss. And, like, it's this moment where, like, Miranda kind of we get a look at the underground back in 1969 and Miranda is basically being chastised by Hammerhead basically telling her like you were supposed to keep the girl safe and now she's being you know abused by this by these people and so you see Miranda physically just you see Miranda go off and throw herself into the well so we see that moment and then we also see while she's having sex with um, her boyfriend's boss her cycle through a few different um a few different personalities uh, we definitely get Scarlet Harlot I think we get um Hangman's Beautiful Daughter and then it ends up with the birth of Jane. So we get to see the birth of the Jane personality in this episode, and I thought it was great. It was super compelling. She, you know, pushes the guy off of her. She runs all of them down, and I'm thinking to myself, like, who is this? And then when she starts, like, going after, like, verbally just, like, telling everybody they're awful people and all this stuff, I was like, oh, this is Jane. This has got to be Jane. She punches the boyfriend in the nose, says they're done, and she walks off. He's like, you're acting crazy, and she's like, 
you know, do you want to see crazy? And she punches him in the nose and he's like, fucking Miranda. And she stops and she's like, my name is Jane. And she walks off and crazy Jane is born. And I loved getting that kind of full circle thing with her. Um, meanwhile, we find out that uh, Cliff is getting ready for uh, his daughter's wedding. Claire's wedding is that day and he is getting himself ready to go. But they are encountered by one of Dorothy's uh, imaginary friends who tells the entire Doom Patrol that, hey, uh, the Candlemaker's here. He's going to kill the chief. He's going to kill Dorothy. And he's going to raise the world to the ground. So they basically guilt Cliff into abandoning his daughter's wedding to go help them. And they are woefully inequipped to deal with the Candlemaker. Um... And it basically results in, once they get to the fair, uh, it's the Doom Patrol versus their imaginary friends. So Rita faces off with Madame Roxy, who is basically, like, her inspiration, the girl she wanted to grow up to be. And you find out that she was basically, like, this um, like this paper cutout doll that she made from, like, a newspaper ad. And then, like, she t- cut out a picture of her mom's eyes and put her on there. And so we get, like, a little bit of psychological... Um, uh, what's the word um god what is the i'm i'm losing it i'm losing the word uh we basically get to look into their psyche for a little bit more of an examination once again with kind of how their um their prior experiences have messed with them um rita basically telling madame roxy that the reason she stopped being or she like threw her away was because after she found her mom sleeping with a producer to get her a role she couldn't bear to look at the eyes that she'd cut out from her mother's picture so she threw her away we also get cyborg versus dr cowboy uh who is has the exact same face as his father and they have this kind of heart-to-heart moment where cyborg like kind of hashes out what he's feeling with Ronnie and kind of comes to a uh, conclusion. But the best one by far is Cliff versus Jesus. Jesus, the literal Jesus, shows up. And this was Cliff's imaginary friend during a stint in Bible camp. And Jesus is like swearing at him, like kicking his ass. Like it was great. And he's played by that one guy from uh, The Walking Dead. He was one of the saviors. Um it was just, it was pitch perfect, the way that this is Cliff's version of Jesus. A uh, foul mouth, like, vicious and brutal guy who's just, like, so bitter about Cliff abandoning him. And once again, we get this nice little callback to the episode where uh, Cliff was talking to his dad, where it's basically, like, you find out that Cliff is kind of essentially following in the footsteps of his dad, because his dad was a deadbeat, he left his mom, that's why he went to Bible camp, he found Jesus, and then his dad showed up and said, I'm going to change, which, you know, made Cliff abandon Jesus to go be with his dad again, and he let him down again. It's a really great character moment, but... All of these are immediately followed up by them being defeated and turned into wax. So it's like you're taking the entire Doom Patrol off the board um, while we're getting all of these flashbacks with Miranda, who has been um, immobilized. Jane basically is at the bottom of the well swimming after Miranda had pushed her. And she goes and she sees a glint in the distance she goes and she pulls on it and it's the necklace that johnny gave to miranda at the beginning of the episode and she pulls on the necklace and miranda's bloated corpse comes out of the ground so we find out and Kay finds out who we see kind of for the first time wandering around in the underground um 
Kay is confronted by Miranda and she's like, you're not Miranda. And Miranda like puts her or whoever she is, puts her hand, you know, on Kay's head and calls her, um, I think baby girl. So I think this is daddy who's come back. And it's like, there, there's also a moment in the uh, Miranda flashbacks during the orgy where um, she has PTSD and she sees her father on top of her instead of her dad's boss or uh, her boyfriend's boss. And it had been kind of implied at multiple episodes that her dad sexually abused her. But to see this being like concrete evidence, it just it makes this guy so much worse, so much worse. So. There's the possibility that the daddy, um, personality, ghost, whatever, has possessed this, you know, image of Miranda and is now in control of the, uh, of the underground. So it was, it was pretty terrifying. Meanwhile, outside at the fair, uh, Dorothy is basically confronted by Slava, her mom, and is torn between staying the little girl that her father Niles wants her to be or becoming the woman that her mother wants her to be. And at the end, she ends up getting this like anime spear weapon thing and she goes and she jumps into the flames to fight the candle maker. And like, that's it. That's the ending of the season. Everybody's immobilized and it was fine. I didn't like it. I didn't like the ending of this. Um, the first season ended off on a cliffhanger as well, but I loved the way that that ended because it was like, okay, yeah, this is kind of a wacky situation, but they're going to figure their way out of it and continue on with their adventures. Um, I would say just because of how the endings played out, I would have to give the nod to season one for, um, but you know, comparing the two, they were both great. There were both great moments in both seasons, but um season two really lost a lot of points with it kind of stumbling at the end there i wasn't a fan of where they cut off and i recognize that of course production um was forced into that position because of covid but it's still it's it's really unfortunate because i thought this season was really strong up until the end there so um that pretty much does it for doom patrol season two on the weekly review i will be honest with you i wasn't prepared to um jump into something else this early i thought i was going to have at least another week so that between this and then um i think the boys season two drops on let me look this up on september 4th oh the same day as marvel's avengers um I was going to have, you know, just two weeks to um, to do uh, like a wild card uh, series once again. But it looks like we're going to be rolling straight into wild card weekly reviews for the next three weeks before we jump into the boys season two. So um, let me know what you're interested in me checking out, whether it's, you know, a TV show, a movie, a comic. Um, that you really want a video game that you really want me to talk about on this I have next week's I think pretty much locked up now that I've kind of restructured the schedule but I still got two more weeks of stuff that I need to review each week before season two of the boys begins to drop so uh, feel free to send your suggestions uh, to me on Twitter or Instagram at geekexplainedpod or through email to geekexplained.gmail.com um, and tune in next week for our for the return of the wildcard weekly review but until then let's go ahead and roll on into this week's comics countdown <laughs> <laughs> 
Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop and comiXology or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And there were a lot of choices. Um, First off, the great great series um dr strange surgeon supreme was just halted at issue six i had no idea um i don't think mark wade or um or the artist on that why am i blinking on his name kev walker um knew it either and they kind of like made that um as i mentioned before they made that uh sort of they kind of implied it um but i was really sad to see that go and i think it went out on a really strong note um there was also a couple different series that were kind of jump-started back into um back into kind of the swing of things far sector was almost the pick for last week it was so close the book is so good i keep talking about how good it is but far sector is so freaking good but the book that uh just claimed my heart the book that i you know fell in love with from the very first page is firepower issues one and two specifically issue two uh because issue one is pretty much the free comic book day issue just with some extra pages and some extra sketches which is still great and getting kind of the um play by a commentary from uh, Kirkman Insomni is really good. But specifically for me, issue two of Firepower, written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somni, was just my book of the week. I loved it. I loved everything about it. Uh, the first action scene has no sound whatsoever, and the ability to plot that and also to um, execute that on the part of uh, Kirkman Insomni was just really, really well done, and I can't wait for this book to be in my regular pool list. Um, it, I'm just already chomping at the bit for issue three, but I gotta wait a month now. So I really enjoyed it. It's definitely a book you should pick up. Uh, pick up the Prelude trade, pick up these first two issues, and get yourself reading some firepower. But that was last week's books. Let's talk about this week. We've got one, two, three, four, five books for you to check out this week. And we're gonna kick things off with the return of a heavy hitter, a book that I love and a book that I have been uh, kind of championing since the ver- since the very first issue came out and that's Hawkeye Freefall number five um, during the pandemic during the quarantine and all that stuff uh, Hawkeye Freefall basically went digital only for the last two issues which was super unfortunate um, and it meant that those of us who collected the issues, um, the single issues, were forever going to have an incomplete collection, and that made me really sad. So it was really exciting for me to see that uh, it's listed as these last two issues are going to be released in comic shops. I'm really excited. I love this series. I will definitely be picking it up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Hawkeye's relationship to Ronan has even his friends turning against him. He's been lying about a lot of things. But you can't lie to Captain America. 
Meanwhile, his war with the Hood is beginning to spin out of control as the people close to him are put in real danger. Having to deal with the Hood was bad enough, but now Clint finds himself in the sights of another former Hawkeye. No, not her. Enter Bullseye. So, um, I already read these issues. I'll, I'm, I'm going to just, I'll be candid with you. Um, this is a great issue. <laughs> um, it's really, really good. Does a great job setting up like the kind of the final battle of the uh, series itself. And it's absolutely a book you should be picking up. Next up, we have Flash number 759 written by Joshua Williamson with art by Jordi Tarragona. Um, this is the beginning of the end for Joshua Williamson's run on the Flash. Uh, this kicks off part one of of Finish Line, which is his magnum opus. Uh, this is the final arc that uh, Joshua Williamson will be on the book for before it gets uh, turned over to the new creative team. And this is going to be one you're not going to want to miss. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. New storyline begins. Finish line, part one of six, leading to the finale of Joshua Williamson's legendary run on The Flash. It's Barry Allen's last race. The Legion of Doom has won. Central City is in ruins, and Barry Allen is trapped in the Speed Force, his body taken over by the Reverse Flash. So, um, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot, um, to kind of, like, set you up, and you would want something this gigantic for your final arc. So, I'm really looking forward to this. The Legion of Zoom is such a cool idea, pulling together, uh, the deadliest members of the Flash Rogues Gallery, and I can't wait to see how this all wraps up. Next up, we have Wonder Woman, number 760, written by Mariko Tamaki, with art by Mikel Janine. Um, the first issue was really strong out of the gate with Wonder Woman and I really really enjoyed it and I'm excited to see where this goes you can see kind of the influences of uh, Wonder Woman 84 coming out soon you know with Wonder Woman in this new design and this new flavor with uh, Maxwell Lord as the villain though he might not be the main villain we don't know yet um, but I'm excited I'm really 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 stoked to see what they do with this especially because i really enjoy maxwell lord as a character and him and wonder woman of course have some unfinished business so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here Wonder Woman's quest to bring justice to man's world has seen her take on many devastating opponents, but none so vicious as Maxwell Lord. Max represents the worst that humanity has to offer, so when he shows up at Diana's doorstep seeking help, what's a warrior for the truth to do? So, yeah, we might see uh, Wonder Woman and Maxwell Lord teaming up. So I'm excited to see what they do with this, and I definitely think you should be picking up this book. Next up, we have Dark Knight's Death Metal, number three of six, written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo. Part three of a six-part series, which is the follow-up to uh, Dark Knight's Metal. This is basically the end of the DC Universe, from what it seems like, you know, the... Um, the Batman Who Laughs has now been turned into the Darkest Knight, and he is going to run roughshod over the multiverse. Um, this is also, according to the cover, going to be uh, our reintroduction to Superman post-everything going to hell. So I will definitely be picking this book up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. All aboard! 
when the Justice League launches its assault on New Apocalypse, the team's goal is to free Superman from his solar prison. But it's all going off the rails when they learn that the Man of Steel is gone for good thanks to the anti-life equation. Plus, the deep secret of the darkest night is revealed. But how much darker could the Batman Who Laughs possibly get? And don't miss the surprise return of everyone's favorite wannabe Robin. So, um, this issue promises a lot. The book's been good so far. I think I enjoyed the second issue more than the first. So, if that trend continues on, then third issue should be really good too. So, I'm looking forward to this. Definitely pick this one up. And the final book, the big book of the week for me, the one I think you should definitely be picking up, isn't a single issue at all. It is actually a graphic novel. And that is Green Lantern Earth 1 Volume 2. I have been waiting for this book. Many people have been waiting for this book. Uh, written by Gabriel Hardman with art by, um, sorry, da, 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 da. Why, where did it go? Um, here we go. Uh, written by Gabriel Hardman with art by Corinna Bechko. Um, this book was a huge surprise for everybody when Volume 1 came out and just how good it was at reimagining the Green Lantern mythos. So I can't wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart must team up to save the last Green Lantern Guardian from an evil force. Manhunters, alien races, rings of power. It's a lot for the people of Earth to absorb, especially when an interplanetary incident forces their protector, Hal Jordan, to leave on a rescue mission that results in the discovery that there's a new player in the galaxy. Yellow Lanterns. While they seem a benign force for peace, Jordan can't get comfortable with how much power they wield, or their bizarre lockstep behavior. When fellow Earthling Jon Stewart ends up with a yellow ring, he and Hal must work together to confront the being who destroyed the original Green Lantern Corps. The Last Surviving Guardian. So, um, I'm really excited about this book, uh, especially with that premise, like Jon Stewart getting a yellow lantern ring. Uh, it's going to be crazy. So, really looking forward to it. The first volume, if you haven't read it yet, go pick it up. It is fantastic, especially if you're a Green Lantern fan. And um, this one promises to be just as good. So, to recap, uh, this week we have Hawkeye Freefall, number five of six, Flash, number 759. Wonder Woman, number 760, Dark Knight's Death Metal, number 3 of 6, and Green Lantern, Earth 1, Volume 2. And that's going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast, please feel free to give us a subscribe. Subscribe to the Geek Explained podcast on the uh, platform of your choice. Also, it would really help me out if you could give us a rating and review, especially on iTunes. Um, it just helps us rise in the charts and the rankings, gets our you know the word of us out there and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you do give us a five-star rating, and review i will read your review here on the podcast you can join the esteemed likes of seafire nd josh from panels to pixels and matt draper um they're all wonderful they're amazing thank you to them for getting those reviews and writing those incredible incredibly flattering uh reviews and giving us those ratings it just it helps us out where you know a podcast that is still growing every episode you know i talked about it um 
in the uh, main segment where uh, this podcast is growing and changing all the time. And it really wouldn't be here at episode 120, which is so crazy to me, um, without you guys and dolls. Like, it really is amazing for me. And looking back on this podcast right now, this is 120 episodes. It's my birthday episode. It's an episode on Superman. It's an episode on one of my favorite stories of all time in comics. Um, my heart is incredibly full. Uh, this has been kind of a stressful uh, time for me, just like for everybody, you know, dealing with the pandemic, dealing with um, all of the things that are going on um, in the world right now. And a story like Superman Smashes the Clan is something that I think is needed right now. Um, and stuff like this, stuff like uh, podcasts, stuff like YouTube channels, stuff like um, anything, anything creative is needed. If you have something that you that you are passionate about and you want to share it, share it out. Like this kind of started as just this um, idea of me like sitting in front of a microphone and ranting about the things that I wanted to talk about to literally no one, just that I had a creative outlet to talk about these things. And now we're 120 episodes deep, three years into uh, this podcast, and I am incredibly grateful to everyone that has made this possible. Um, the best... Chris, or the best birthday present I could ask for is uh, the support that you guys give me every single week. It is more important than you know, especially for this time um, that it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard sometimes, you know, I have talked about it before on this podcast. I suffer from depression and a lot of people do. And getting that support, even just for somebody, you know, sharing it on Twitter or something, being like, hey, check this out or retweeting it or whatever, like it means the world to me. And so I want to, from the bottom of my heart, thank you all for getting us up to 120 episodes. It still blows my mind. Um, and so, yeah, so when this episode drops, I will be enjoying my birthday. Um, thank you very much to everyone for listening. Uh, tune in next week as we continue on with August. Uh, we've got some stuff in the pipeline that I'm pretty excited about. Some comics, some great comics are coming out. Um, we're going to be kicking off our second iteration of the wildcard weekly reviews and of course you know we're going to be talking comics we're going to be talking everything that we always talk about on the geek explained podcast i know that's incredibly vague and i don't mean that to be and yet i do kind of mean that to be so what i'm trying to say is thank you for just sitting and listening to me ramble for this entire time it means more than you know uh tune in next week for a brand new episode of the geek explained podcast same geek time same geek channel but for now for geek explained this is eric azana thank you very much for listening stay safe and we will see you next time Thank you.